Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, we're reading verses 31 to 35. Uh, we're in week two of our sermon series called The Images of the Church. Uh, and last week, we basically said that when it comes to a definition or explanation of the church, uh, God doesn't give us one verse or one sentence. Uh, rather, what he does is he gives us portraits or images of the church. And what we looked at last week is that the church is God's field. Uh, it's a place of spiritual growth. And so we as laborers and co-laborers in that field, we do the work of cultivating an environment where we can grow as we receive God's ministry, as we minister to one another as God's instruments. Uh, now, today what we're looking at is this second image of the church, uh, which is probably the most well-known, the most uh, familiar, and that's the church as God's family. And so that's what we are looking at this morning. Please stand with me. Uh, your standing is an act of worship for the reading and receiving of God's holy word. Mark chapter 3, beginning with verse 31. Hear now the reading of God's word. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about as at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Would you pray with me once more? Father, would you bless the preaching of your word, that it would be crystal clear um, despite the um, blemishes and the faultiness and the, and the finitude of this um, instrument. I pray nonetheless that your spirit would speak uh, clearly through me and preach your word so that your people would receive it and be edified and built up and encouraged. Um, and that through the preaching of your word, they would grow spiritually, Lord, for we know that this is your ordained means. So bless it now, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure if you think hard enough and go back into your memory, you can probably uh, remember some of the things spoken, uh, said, maybe even screamed at your parents in anger when you were a child. Things that, you know, if you, if you remember or ever played back to you would make you cringe, would make your, your toes curl up. Uh, I do remember as a kid, you know, being so angry at them, I would say and scream, you know, in bloody anger, I hate you. Um, I never want to see you ever again. I never want to see your face. Um, but chief among them and the one that I, I always remember uh, knowing that I, I didn't believe this, but, but I would say, because I knew it would sting, is I wish I didn't belong to this family. I wish that I didn't belong to this family. Now, you know what? I'm sure you can all recall memories, if you're really honest with yourself, saying something similar to that. Um, the reality is that this is what family can do. Like, nothing like family can bring out the sin harboring in your heart. And so whether it's your, your parents or your kids, they can, they can drive you absolutely nuts. The only difference is parents have enough restraint that they would never look at their kid and say, I wish I never belonged to this family. <laughs> or I hope our parents have enough restraint. But you know what? At the same time, as infuriating as family can be, there's nothing also like family that provides the safety and the security, um, especially after a year of, of weariness and disappointment and, and, and discouragement, there's nothing like being in the presence and the protection of loved ones. You know, family, your home, it, it's a harbor for the soul. And it's interesting that family can be both of those at the same times. 
that family can, the, the ones you love most can be those who can hurt you most. At the same time, family can also be uh, ones who can heal you most. And family is powerful in that kind of way. And this dual reality is also experienced in the life of the church. You know, God calls the church his family. And sometimes people have a distaste for the church because of wounds received from the church, cuts and bruises through words and actions of those who have said things and spoken things and uh, gossiped about certain things that, that have hurt people. And the reality is that this is true because the church is not a museum of saints. The church is a hospital of sinners. Their church is uh, full of people where, where the power and presence of sin, so, sin still lingers in our hearts. And so we're going to hurt one another. At the same time, God has divinely ordained to call the church his family. Because the intention for God by calling the church his family is for the church to be a place where love and compassion and empathy and service abound. The church is called to be a family where we know one another and are known by one another. And so although the sin, uh, the presence of and power of sin is still lingering in our hearts, what we have even more is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, helping us live out the realities of this good and glorious intention that God has for us. So that's what we're talking about today, the church as God's family. Now in Mark chapter 3, what we see is Jesus redefining for us what the church is and who the church is by talking about his spiritual family. Now, we began in verse 31, but in order to know what's going on, let's step back and look at the context. Now, Mark begins in chapter 1 with Jesus uh, starting his ministry. And so from chapters 1 to chapter 3, Jesus is walking around. He is performing miracles, proving he's the Son of God. He's preaching and he's teaching. Then you get to Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 19, and Jesus calls the 12 disciples to himself. That ends in chapter 3, verse 19, and here's what we read in chapter 3, verse 20. Mark records, then he, Jesus, went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. You have to understand, Jesus' ministry was both so wildly popular and also so controversial that he attracted crowds everywhere he went. He was a celebrity in his own way. This past uh, couple months, I've been re-watching The Last Dance. It's a Netflix documentary about uh, Michael Jordan and the championship uh, Chicago Bulls. And it's just mind-boggling when you read this. I mean, considering this was 20, 25 years ago, 30 years ago even, uh, the, the footage of, of how media would surround him, right? And, and from the time that he arrived in a city... Uh, till he got from the airport to the hotel, the hotel to the arena, the arena to his locker room and all the way back. Media was always following him. Crowds were always following him. Fans somehow always knew where he was. And this is pre-social media. This is pre-hashtag. This is pre-GPS tracking. We don't know how they found out, but they would always find out. Everybody wanted to see Mike. Well, Jesus is the original Mike. Everybody wanted to see him. He could not go into a town where tons of crowds of people would come and gather. So much so that he couldn't do basic things like here. It was so crowded he couldn't even eat. You know, li listen to actually how Mark describes it. In Mark chapter 3, verse 7, he writes, Jesus withdrew from his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed him. Then in verse 9, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. Chapter 3, verse 20, now, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. Mark 4, 1, again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him. 
This is happening over and over in the Bible. The popularity of Jesus is so great. Wherever he goes, crowds of people flock to him. This is important because the context then is here's Jesus in his uh, home. He can't even eat. And this crowd has formed so much so that when his mother and his brothers show up, they can't even access their own uh, son or their own brother. The crowd is impenetrable. So verses 31 to 32 say, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. So standing outside of the home, his own family has to play that, that retreat game, the icebreaker game, telephone, and they tap on the shoulder and, you know, where is, where is family? We're looking for Jesus. And that message is passed on down through the line and it finally gets to the inner circle around Jesus. And somebody whispers in his ear, your mother and your brothers are here. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't immediately stand up and go out to his family. Jesus could have stood up and much like Moses part of the Red Sea, stumped his foot and the crowd could have split and his family have access. Rather, Jesus then looks at the crowd and here's what he says in verses 33 to 35. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around them, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. How can Jesus say such a thing? It's kind of disrespectful. Now, why would he say this? You know, and it's not like Jesus' family was, was embarrassing him. It's not like he was ashamed of them. In fact, ironically, you know why Jesus says this? It's because his family is ashamed of him. His family is embarrassed by Jesus. You see, Jesus' parents, his, his mother and his brothers came actually to take Jesus away. Now, we only read a little bit of the context, but let's go back to verse 20. Here's what we read. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. But go to the next verse, verse 21. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. See, this early on in Jesus' life and ministry, his own family doesn't believe who he claims to be. They're skeptical and they're suspicious. Now, we have to understand uh, that this is completely reasonable. I mean, really put yourself into their shoes. We just had Christmas. Some of us are having family gatherings for uh, New Year's. New Year's Eve, imagine while you're doing the countdown, one of your own family members gets up and says, well, it's the new year. I'm going to be honest. And you're like, well, what are they going to say? And they say, well, you know, I'm the son of God. Come to die for your sins with my perfect life and my perfect death. And then what if Sunday morning you wake up and, and they're gone and they leave a little note for you and you find out that they're on their way to Cornerstone. And then after the insufficient preaching of Andrew, they're going to get up and they're going to declare the truth to you. They are the messenger of God come to save humanity. How fast would you go out your door, not just to save them from embarrassment, but to save you from embarrassment? You would rush in to seize them and you'd be thinking they're out of their mind. See, that's what's going on here. When Jesus' family arrives at the door of this crowded house, Jesus knows their motivation. They're not here for him. They're here against him. They're not here to support him. They're here to stop him. 
And it's because they're opposed to Jesus that although they are his blood biological family, he says they are not part of my spiritual family. And Mark is going to hint at this as the author of this by keeping his biological unbelieving family on the outside while the believing crowd of strangers is on the inside. And because they believe, this is why Jesus is able to look at them and he says in verse 34, here are my mother and my brothers. You see, outside, on the outside, you have his his family, but they're here to seize him. And on the inside, you have his spiritual family who's here to see him. They know he has the word of life. And so they've come to listen. And it's because Jesus knows their hearts. He he knows that they know him. He identifies them. Listen, Listen to what he says. He says, here are my mother and my brother. These are words of possession. Jesus saying, those who believe in me are those who belong to me. So then he says in verse 35, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, let's just make this clear here. Jesus is not saying that you get into God's family by doing good works and obedience. He's not saying if you obey the will of God enough that you will enter his family. You don't work or earn your way into adoption as God's children. That's not how it works. I don't know about your household, but in my household growing up, you know, my parents love to compare me. I think Korean parents like to do this, love to compare me to other uh of their friends' children. So-and-so can speak Korean so well. Why can't you? So-and-so went to this college. Why can't you? So-and-so cleans the house. Why don't you? Right? And I always look at them and say, well, why don't you adopt them? Why wouldn't you want them as your child? But you don't work your way into a family. So Jesus is not saying whoever does God's will, then you'll be accepted as my brother and sister and mother, what Jesus is saying is those who are truly part of the family will show it, will evidence it, will display it in their obedience to God. Jesus is basically saying, whoever does the will of God, he's proving that he is my brother and sister and mother. You don't earn your way into God's family. You're received into his family, not by works, but by faith. So John 1 says this, he gave the right, God gave the right for us to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Romans 8 says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our, own, with our spirit that we are children of God. You see, you come to belong to the family of God when you come to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's a really important relationship here between believing and belonging. What is a church? And a lot of us would say, well, church is that gathering of people who believe the same thing. But no. And church is God's family of people who not only believe the same thing, but who belong to one another. We belong to one another because we belong to God. The gospel says that our vertical relationship with God has now created a horizontal relationship to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Your believing should result in your belonging. So what does it mean to be God's family? It means we believe and we belong. We belong to one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why that language fills the entire New Testament. 
And it all starts with what Jesus said here in Mark 3. That language of the church as God's family, we see it in 1 Timothy 3. Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and this is what he writes. I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. The church is the household, is God's family. And then when he says, not not only do you belong to the family, but what does that mean in terms of your relationship with one another? He instructs Peter in in chapter five, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. You see, the church is God's family. And so believers should relate to one another, not just as fellow believers, but as fellow siblings. The question is, when you look at the people around you, who are they? Why do we do the passing of the peace? So that you realize that we're not just individual people who've come to worship God because we believe the same thing. We are the family of God come together. I'm recognizing the people I belong to and people who belong to me because we belong to God. You know, this reality was made so manifest, it was so palpable in the early church that one of the accusations made against early Christians was that they were all engaged in incest. Because they would hear rumors that the church was living so much like a family that this newly married husband and wife, why do they keep calling each other brother and sister in Christ? There's something wrong with that. And yet the reality of the family relationship was so strong in the church that others saw that and believed and perceived it to be an extremely strange thing. The question is, how real is the siblinghood of believers in this church? If Cornerstone Church is also Cornerstone family, then how much do you really see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? How real is your adoption into God's family that you don't just go to church with other members, but every Sunday is a family reunion of sorts, coming together, not just as believers, but people who belong. You see, and when we divide this definition and we focus so much on the first one, we've nailed that. What is the church? The church is a bunch of people who believe the same thing. And we, and we do, when, when we come together and we do the call to worship, the call and response, we confess together, we profess together, we pray together, we receive the word together, we partake of the Lord's Supper together. All of that is visible evidence that we are people who believe the same thing. How do you enter into membership at Cornerstone? It's very simple. People always write and say, well, how, how should I prepare? Well, to be a member of Cornerstone, it's pretty simple. I'm going to give away a little secret. You know, we really, it's just, it's it's on one question, which is, what is the gospel and do you believe it? And so even membership in this church, it's very simple. It's, it's, It's what do you believe? So yes, we are believers. And yet at the same time, when we come to believe and we're brought into God's family, then we've also come to belong. Is it clear in your relationship with the people in this church that they are your spiritual family, that you are blood bought, blood bound by the Savior. And that's what the church should reflect to the world. What evidence of family life is there in your relationships to one another? Friends, yes. Fellow disciples, yes. But fellow siblings, 
You see, the fact that we belong to one another because we believe in Christ is so powerful because it's so utterly different than the way this world works. In this world, isn't it true that you have to work to try and belong? You have to earn your place. You have to be liked in order to be part of something. You have to be approved, accepted. When you're young and you're making friends the very first day, you, you, you have to dress the right way. You have to have the, the right kind of backpack. When you get older, you, you, it doesn't change. You need the right dress. You need the right handbag. You need to say the right things. You need to talk the right way. Why? Because you want a place to belong. And so you're working for it. And it's so tiring. It's tiring to live in a world where I have to earn my place in belonging. But it's only in the church of Jesus Christ, God's family, where we don't belong because we work for it. We belong because Christ has brought us in by grace. You belong, friends, because Jesus brought you in. Jesus said to the Father, by washing away your sins and giving you his righteousness, he's with me. She's with me. You ever go to Costco? Family membership. When they sh show the card, what do you do? When my mom is in front and she's 10 feet, she shows the card, I run up <laughs> to make sure that, you know, she goes, oh, he's with me. Because I don't have a card. And if I'm too far away and I come up and they say, where's your card? I'll be denied access. Now, Costco is not heaven. <laughs> but as God enters, as Christ enters into the presence uh, of God, into the kingdom of God, your true eternal home, he says, they're family. He's with me. That's why Hebrew 2 encourages us that Jesus it says, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And this is why in Mark 3, Jesus, he's surrounded. His family is there, but his family's on the outside. He's surrounded by a crowd of strangers and a crowd of sinners. And yet he's still able to look at them and say, here are my mother and my brothers. Jesus has taken on our sin in order to bring us in. He's taken on our shame in order to give us the family name. And by that name, by his name, we belong to God and we belong to one another. You see, we're, we're not a family. We're not a spiritual family uh, because we're choice people, because we're the best kind of people. We're the family of God because we're a chosen people. We're not family because we're, we're worthy to God. We're family because we were wanted by God. And so now we can begin to look at the people around us in this church family. Honestly, if you take a good look around you, these people may not be those who you would have chosen if it were up to you, but praise God that they are people that God has chosen for you. You see, we belong to them and they belong to us by grace. And if you really believe that, then this church family becomes a type of family that welcomes others, receives others, declares to all those who are walking through the church, you belong here. You don't have to earn your place among us. You don't have to impress us in order to belong. We're, we're not a club, we're a family. You belong because you believe, and because you believe, you belong. 
We belong not because we all socially fit together and can get along and we enjoy the same hobbies and activities, not because we all share the same background. We don't belong because our interests align or our aspirations are the same and we have the same career goals that we're involved in the same industry. We don't belong because we're all in the same life stage. We don't belong because we all naturally click and get along. You belong because the Father has welcomed you into his family by grace. And that grace is the same grace that welcomed each one of us. So then as a church, living in God's grace, we strive to make this place, our church family, a place where every member and attendee and visitor feels like they belong, that nobody should feel like a stranger. That's how grace becomes palpable. That's how grace fills the atmosphere of the church. Not just because someone up here is always talking about grace, but we're living out of grace, extending it and sharing it. And when this happens, when this happens in a church family, here's what's going to happen. Here's why a lot of people don't like it. When you truly understand that you belong to the spiritual family of God, this invites tremendous inconvenience into your life. Because when you're more than just members, when you're actual family, then that means your lives become integrated. Messiness gets added on top of your messiness. Others is ish, gets added to your ish. Their burdens become your burdens. Their sorrows become your sorrows. Their disappointments become yours. Nothing is ever, that's their business. No, friends, their business is family business. So we cry together and we grieve together and we hurt together and we lament together. That's what it means to be spiritual family. So in Galatians 6, Verse 1, when Paul is addressing the Galatians, he says, brothers, family, bear one another's burdens because they're not just one person's to bear. You know, at the same time, we invite tremendous inconvenience into our lives. We also invite tremendous privilege into our lives because as family, you get to share in one another's joys and experience one another's victories and celebrate wins together. You know, there's a problem in a church when people's lives are so siloed so isolated that others are oblivious and unaware of the things to thank God for in their lives. You know, people should know, your brothers and sisters in Christ should know the reasons they have to praise God for what he's done in you and for you and through you. And yet one of the realities that's happening in coronavirus is that because we're all so spread apart, so many things are happening, so many reasons to rejoice, so many reasons to thank God together as a family, but nobody's aware of any of them. And that also means that there are those in the church who are silently suffering, who are being forgotten and neglected. But as a church family, if we truly belong to one another, then we share in the burdens together. And not only means that not only means that you open your life for others to come to share in the realities of your life. But that also means you look for the openings in others, so you enter into them. And we want to be a choice that really celebrates together. And we want to be a church that really cries together. The question is, are we a church that merely is a gathering of people who believe the same things? Or are we a church, a family, where the people of God belong to God and to one another? And my fear is during this pandemic that a lot of us have really forgotten the rhythm of what it means to be in a spiritual life. Forgotten 
have, have lost a sense of what it means to be a spiritual family, what it means to belong. And so it's become a bit uh, foreign, a bit unfamiliar. And so usually when that happens, we do uh, one of two things. Right? Uh, some people will just naturally withdraw into uh, their naturally formed social circles. And then others, maybe with family, will naturally withdraw into the concerns of their own immediate family. But how can we do this when we stand in the presence of a Savior who sat in a crowd of strangers and sinners and yet looked at them and said, they are my brother and mother and sister. So look around you. This is the spiritual family. These are the people to whom you belong and who belong to you because we belong to God. It's a cornerstone. Let's live. Let's be that kind of church. God's family. Let's pray.